Welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. I'm Father Morgan Reed. I'm the vicar here at Corpus Christi Anglican Church. And if you're new to Anglicanism, vicar is kind of like a senior pastor for a church that's just passed uh, an idea as a church plant to being recognized as like a real church plant. So we're a church plant. Uh, we're a, we call it a mission. And, and I am like the senior pastor of that. Um, Well, let me pray for us as we begin this morning and we enter our time into 2 Thessalonians together. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. Amen. Well, a few years ago, I was going to somebody's house. This was my spiritual director. Uh, They lived out in Falls Church. At the time, I lived in Alexandria, and we had finished our session together about 9 p.m. I was exhausted after that, and I needed to drive home back to Alexandria. And before I got to Seven Corners, I heard this rumbling in the car. It was a horrible sound, and then it turned into more more of a screech. And that screech that was happening would get louder and louder as I went faster and faster. It would get softer as I would go slower. But it was still there no matter what I did. It was a terrible sound. And I didn't want to make things worse than they were in the car. So I decided, okay, I'm just going to pull over to this 24-hour fitness over here on this cold, dark night. Some of you might know that 24-hour fitness over by Seven Corners. I pulled into that parking lot. It was dark, cold, and I had decided, okay, I'm going to call AAA because I can't deal with this. And so I called AAA and they said, you know what? It's going to be an hour till we can get there. I'm like, great. So I'm going to go into the gym and hang out, wait there for you. Well, an hour went by. No one came. No one called. No one followed up. And so I called back and they said, oh, I'm sorry. You know what? The driver had something else that he needed to get done. The earliest we can get somebody to you is like 2 a.m. And I was like, nope. I'm going to take an Uber all the way home. You guys can, I'll call you in the morning. So I left my car at the 24-hour gym. They were kind enough to let me do that. And, uh, and then I went all the way home in an Uber. And then the next morning, I had to come back so that they could hook the car up uh, to tow it all the way down to Woodbridge where I was getting it worked on. And so later on, I called up the, the mechanic at Woodbridge and said, hey, how's, how's it going? Uh, and they just laughed and I said, okay, so what's wrong with the car and why are you chuckling? And they, they said that they had found this little tiny, tiny, tiny pebble that had kicked up its way into the brake system. And, and the result of that was just this really awful sound. It wasn't ultimately going to be that big of a deal, but it was, it was a horrible sound. Uh, and so they kindly didn't charge me for this blunder that I had made with going over this rock that went up into the brake system. Um, And when I got there and I got the car from them, they actually gave me the pebble to keep as a memento, (laughs) which was very kind. This little pebble that was the cause of so much of my anguish. I held it in my hand and it really was half the size of a penny. 
but that little thing placed in the wrong spot in my vehicle had caused this late night in the cold, a lot of anxiety about how much it was going to cost to get my car fixed, and a lot of Uber rides back and forth from Alexandria to Falls Church. Um, and so it's amazing how something so tiny can cause such a big problem. Sometimes little things can have really big impacts. And that's what's happening this morning in the, the book of Second Thessalonians. We encounter some individuals who adopt uh, some seemingly small theological errors. And those errors were having a huge impact on the community, the church that they were a part of. And what we've done over the last several weeks, we've been focusing on this concept of the communion of saints. So uh, three weeks ago, I looked at 2 Thessalonians 1, where we began this letter, and we thought a lot about mirrors and how God is hammering out the church to more perfectly reflect his glory. And then last week, we celebrated the Sunday after all saints, and we looked at Revelation 7 together, where we discovered how loving the communion of saints, which is the church both militant and triumphant gives us this road map that we need to see God's kingdom in a world that's broken. And today we're going to finish up this short series on the communion of saints together uh, before next Sunday, which is Christ the King Sunday. And then the following Sunday, if you can believe it, we enter into Advent. So everything goes purple. We'll have the Advent candles out. It's going to be great, but man, it's going fast. Um, When we think of the the communion of saints this week, what it does in this passage, it highlights that looking to the communion of saints tethers us to the apostles' teaching. And in the case of 2 Thessalonians, it gives significance to our work. It's it's a specific application of the apostles' teaching. How do we work? Uh, Loving the communion of saints involves growing together in the apostles' teaching to build a Christ-like community that is conforming into the image of Christ. That's part of loving the communion of saints, this connection between loving the communion of saints and the apostles' teaching. So St. Paul has spent a lot of time in this little letter. It's only three chapters, so we're already at the end of it. Uh, talking about the coming of the Lord, the word parousia. Uh, and and he seems, it seems that like some of the people thought the parousia already must have happened. Jesus already came back. And um, because of that, we are now living in paradise. There are some groups that actually still believe this, and there are some strange implications. Um, now, I won't get into, uh, I'll, I'll tell you if you want to know on a sideline. Side um, So in some ways, it's true in Christ that we have entered into paradise. But the reality is, Jesus will come back again. So this group thought, well, he already came back again. Maybe it was spiritually. We don't know how they were embracing that idea. But that idea has come up through the centuries over and over. And the implications of it here are, well, we don't need to work because we're in paradise. That would be convenient, wouldn't it? (laughs) And so, you know, we might say that that group that was in Paul's letter being addressed, they were so heavenly minded that they were of no earthly good. And and so what that happens is they're creating disorder in the body of Christ. And so some of your translations might say idle or idleness. Some translations have disorder or disorderly. Uh, The idea is a disorder that's coming from bad theology manifesting in idleness. 
Um, but the thing is, if you go back to the beginning, back to the book of Genesis, work is actually good. Right? God created Adam and Eve to till and work the garden. Work is good. Thorns and briars are not. And so what happens is that the thorns and the briars are the effect of the fall, not work itself. Our work actually matters. And that's part of the apostolic teaching, that your work matters. On any given day, there might be tasks that feel less significant than others. But when we labor, we're producing something. And that's important because it's the one place in our lives where we are not targeted as consumers. Right? We are not purely consumers. We're productive when we work. And it's so and when, we, when we labor, then it gives us a glimpse into God's creative work. And I know that there are a few in this congregation that are in this life stage, um, but it actually does speak into a Christian way to retire. And so if we think of how to use retirement, we, we don't want to become a people that endlessly relax and consume until we die. That is not a Christian view of retirement. Instead, retirement is actually an invitation into changing your vocation. So whether you're paid or unpaid, there is something God calls you to. Um, you still have people that God has called you to love. You still have tasks that God has called you to work on. You still have property and assets that God has called you to steward for his glory. And so retirement is, is not a cessation of work. It is a changing of vocation. And what's challenging about this passage is talking to Northern Virginians about being idle, right? Because... <laughs> It prices idle people out to live here. Um, and if anything, the average Northern Virginian is going to identify with their work in an unhealthy way. They define who they are by what they do, not the other way around. And so we're probably battling workaholism more than we're battling idleness, um, or at the very least, uh, unhealthy priorities at work. But for the, for the Christian, then, there's this challenge as Northern Virginians to rightly prioritize all the areas of work that God has for you. Not just the paid work, but all the things God has for you. It's seeing all of life as good work to be done. And so God has given us work to do, not just the job we're paid for, but all of those responsibilities, all of those relationships that God calls us into to steward for his kingdom. And keeping that balance allows us to more easily see all of, the king, all of uh, life as being under God's kingdom reign, under the authority of Christ. And so life becomes this continual uh, allowing of ourselves to see the multiple areas of our lives as being submitted under the lordship of Christ. Um, even if you're searching for paid employment at the moment, like I know people are in various stages of looking for work, in between work. Um, there is there's still no one in this congregation who I would describe as lazy or idle, thanks be to God. Um, but, you know, it's always what you have to do, even in this in-between season, is still the work that God has called you to in that in-between. Um, and again, no one in this congregation has that weird view of paradise that it's already come. I think uh, when you see all the little kids come back, you'll be reminded that there is a day of Jesus is coming in paradise. Will come paradise is not yet. I've talked to a few sleep deprived people this morning. And uh, so I know paradise is not yet. Um, but I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people in the congregation. Um, and just in Northern Virginia where I think, wow, I can't believe that is a job that somebody does. And they get paid to do that thing. 
the amount of people I talk to and they go, yeah, I'm a contractor, right? Because there's like a million things you can be contracted out to do. Um, people create this really cool niche for themselves where they get paid to do something they love. And it's really amazing to think about. Um, and because, because of that, this church is super diverse in, in its vocational callings, both paid and unpaid. I mean, I was thinking about people in the congregation. Uh, this is not an exhaustive list, uh, but doctors, lawyers, people who write bilingual children's books, executives of nonprofits, leadership coaches, people who work on national parks, IT specialists, web designers, psychologists, teachers, childcare workers, stay-at-home parents, military personnel, parochial priests, chaplains, uh, executives for for-profit businesses, artists, entrepreneurs, the, and those entrepreneurs have their hands in like way too many businesses that I can't even name them all. Um, and then museum curators, and interior designers, and those who are retired. I'm sorry if I didn't mention the thing that you do. Uh, I was just kind of spitballing off the things that I remembered this week, so that was a representative list, not comprehensive. The point is that, you know, on any given Sunday, there roughly is about 30 adults here, uh, maybe 40, and that means that there are these 30 to 40 avenues of amazing creativity where God is showing his creative work in his kingdom in this church. And that's really amazing. Have we thought and dreamt about the vocation that we have tying into and integrating with the kingdom of God? Each of you has a really unique calling. And so your work then is an opportunity to reflect the glory of God's kingdom um, because that's the unique thing that he has gifted you for and called you to, and no one can do it the way that you do. Um, all of our unique callings are ministry. So if you're like, well, I don't know if I'm really doing ministry. You are doing ministry. God called you to it. It is ministry. Being a parochial priest is a vocational calling, and it's no less ministry than what God has called each of you to. I was thinking about this. I'm really not great at reading directions, uh, I mess up things all the time. Even this morning, I didn't read a text quite right, so I got the wrong thing, whatever. I'm not great at reading directions, and I found out that that actually makes a good church planter. So I was heartened uh, when I found that out in my uh, assessments. Um, so, But what I really shouldn't do is become a lawyer or an accountant. Uh, in the same way that some of you should probably never be a priest, right? Um, <laughs> There are times, right, that God calls us to new vocations, and that's okay. And we should never think that finally we're doing ministry now. Like where you are is God's calling on you in ministry. We do ministry where God has us, not where we want to be. And what that means is that there is a Christian way to labor, which is to avoid a sacred and secular divide. In fact, this thing in C.S. Lewis doesn't... He, he pushes against that, and he says everything in life is either religious or irreligious. Um, so there is a religious way to do all things, and an irreligious way. But it's not a sacred-secular divide. So we don't want to have this disposition of disconnection. Disposition of disconnection or fragmentation where we just can't wait to be done with this thing so that we can go on our little private holy retreat where our relationship with God is that doesn't involve the people that we interact with and all the earthly stuff that we have to do over here. Emotional and spiritual maturity involves the integration of those parts. 
So having said that, there are particularities of each of our vocations that might involve uh, working in an environment where there are, there's a culture of workaholism. And so part of us ministering to people is teaching them how to unplug and have balance. Like there is a Christian way to have balance that people need to learn. You might even take less money or no money to oversee things that God's called you to do. Uh, but of course, you got to do those things wisely and sustainably. But the point is that there's, a, there's even a Christian way to do that. Um, and what I'm getting at is something like in St. Benedict's rule, we talk about the ora et labora, the, the work and prayer. And this group in 2 Thessalonians wanted the prayer without work, right? They wanted prayer without work. But I'd suggest that oftentimes in Northern Virginia, it's flip-flopped, and, and our besetting sin as Christians in Northern Virginia is to want work without prayer. Um, I want to be productive. I want to make an impact. I want to, um, yeah, do something meaningful. Um, and so prayer gets pushed out as something that is inconsequential, uh, not productive, and, and sidelined. But the stuff of, of earth is actually a window to heaven. And so if you've been in our confirmation classes or any of our new to Corpus Christi Anglican Church classes, Think about our view of the sacraments. Our view of the sacraments as Anglicans calls us to remember that uh, in the earthly stuff, we find windows to heaven. In the Eucharist, God transform, he transforms earthly stuff, out of, you know, grapes and wheat, into the presence of Christ, who's the means of grace and the hope of glory. And we want to have this sacramental imagination for the earthy and the ordinary stuff of each and every day. The progress of the gospel comes through us um, in and through our work, not in avoiding our work. And so the last few weeks, the last few verses of this passage, sorry, in, in 2 Thessalonians 3, deal with how do you treat those who create chaos in the community, in, in the body of Christ. And it's often true that when people are trying to be novel and they have new ideas about the end times and how you should live because of them, um, it's just a smokescreen for some kind of immaturity that they're not dealing with. Um, and so when people adopt new ideas as though that's the thing that's going to save them, it's often a smokescreen for what they're not dealing with. Um, and because of that, we have to have compassion on them. Not make fun of them, not castigate them as somebody who's just way off, but have compassion on them, like a member of the family. And when we, seek, uh, when we seek a member of the family, what we're seeking is for them to come to repentance, not to live in perpetuity in, in their shame. So if there's any shame to be had, it is only insofar as it draws them to repentance. But loving the communion of saints involves being built on the testimony of the apostles and prophets with Jesus being the chief cornerstone, which is how St. Paul phrases that elsewhere. There's a lot to discover in the church, um, in the history of the church, and in the scriptures about how we live with intention in the body of Christ and how our work intersects with that. And we should adore the mystery of Christ um, and not always be on the hunt to explain it uh, or to discover it in modern events which is one of the errors that this group was making. Work, work matters to God uh, because in the ordering of creation, that's what 
what you and I are doing with our bodies and what you and I do with our bodies matters to God. God ordered creation. You and I join in this, in that creative work. Our bodies aren't inconsequential. And so we take in the world around us through those God-given senses that we have and the work that we have to do. Our work is a calling, a vocation, a ministry, and a stewardship of God's kingdom resources for us. And you and I then are invited into this grander vision of what we do than what's actually on our job descriptions. There is a heavenly calling that is much greater than your job description. And who we are in our uniqueness in Christ that dictates what we do rather than the other way around. It's not, hi, I'm a pastor and my name is Morgan, um, right? It's, it's the other way around. We start with who God's made us and that comes out in our vocations. Um, it's, a, it's a vision of work that's informed by the communion of saints who have gone before us in their uniqueness. The work God calls us to is a heavenly call. No matter how mundane or how frustrating it gets at times, um, God may call you into a new vocation out of that. But each vocation is a ministry as you are there. And it's an opportunity to show Christ's love. It's an opportunity to discover him in the ways that he's made you unique and to show that love to others through your own life. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, in your earthly life, you shared our toil and hallowed our labor. Guide those who maintain the commerce and industries of this land and give to all who labor pride in their work, a just reward and joy both in supplying need and in serving you. We also remember before you those who suffer want and anxiety from lack of work. Guide the people of this land so to use our public and private wealth that all may find suitable and fulfilling employment and receive a just reward for their labor through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.